This is Writers Not Writing, the show where you can get to know your favorite writers and soon-to-be favorite writers by listening to them confess to the ways they procrastinate. Thanks for procrastinating with us. I'm Benjamin Gorman, and the quiet guy behind the glass there is Doug the producer. I write novels and collections of poetry and stuff. Doug tries his best to make me sound better. And each week we have a secret word to listen for. If you catch it, you earn the right to take an extra break at the time of your choosing from whatever is stressing you out. From Not A Pipe Publishing, welcome to Writers Not Writing. Today's secret word is heirloom. Welcome, everyone. Today's guest is Laura Stanfill, the publisher at Forest Avenue Press and the author of Singing Lessons for the Stylish Canary, which came out from uh, Lantern Press in 2022. Laura also has a reputation around our uh, around the Pacific Northwest for just being wonderful about building community and supporting authors. And so I am so grateful to have you. Thank you for being here today and for all that you do to support authors and, and bring authors in the Pacific Northwest together. Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me today, Ben. So viewers already can tell we dress up in these costumes, but for the folks who are listening on the podcast, what did you choose to wear for your costume for today's show? So I've been looking for the right occasion to wear this dress basically my whole life. Um, it was my mom's. It is a vintage Laura Ashley dress that looks like... Um, it kind of looks like curtain material. <laughs> it's very thick and it has a sort of sheen to it. And it is covered in roses and little burgundy bows. And it just, it's basically a ball gown. And I just, I've wanted to wear it to like a Powell's event or something, but just, it's so much fabric. I can't even get in the car. So yes, we <laughs> I are just very much overdressed, but you look fantastic. That it, It's amazing. <laughs> So I was really thrilled for the opportunity to wear it today because, um, I, you know, to my knowledge, my mom never wore it. I just coveted it when I was a little kid and um, she finally passed it along to me. And so now I can wear it on on your show. So she never had an opportunity to go out to a big fancy ball in that. Oh, that's no, I don't think so. Well, and it's it's strapless, which is not my mom's look. So I think she had she fell in love with the quality of the material and the the look of it, but didn't have an occasion in mind. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, or you, or, know, you have to feel comfortable in it too. Like you know, if it's not your look. So for, for all I know, she did try to wear it and tried to get in the car and there was too much material to yes. close the door because I yes. could see that happening with this particular dress. <laughs> well, I wanted to be equally formal and I have a suit, uh, the suit coat and vest match. And you can see they've got this like it's the, the interior lining of the suit coat is something that I would never rock. Otherwise, it is almost pink. It's this like, you know, uh pink with uh, paisley design in the interior uh, but uh this was my grandfather's suit and it really holds up like it, you know the the suit and vest i think i could still wear anywhere today and people be like that's a nice suit but the tie is also one of my grandfather's and it is ridiculously thin like it looks like something out of oppenheimer <laughs> like, um so yeah not 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 still uh, in fashion but it'll come back uh and uh it, you know i i really ought to get the the matching oppenheimer fedora to wear when i do this and uh, i would never wear the pants as high as they wore them at the time uh that, yes that uh, can't be comfortable <laughs> no. but the suit coat's a nice coat so uh yeah we we, we look way overdressed for a podcast today so That's I have sure. been excited to talk to you about your summer garden, which uh, you had a little more time for this summer than you planned. Uh, yes what was no. going on with your summer garden this year? Well, actually, um, so I broke my foot in June. I had a good garden started. I did a lot of starts in the house and then I broke my foot and I couldn't get around to all the places where... I, um, where I garden, I actually have, um, in previous years, I've had gardens at three different houses, oh. which is excessive, I think, but it's kind of wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, last summer, every morning I got up and I watered my mother-in-law's garden because she needed the support and because all of pretty much all the starts for that 
turned into full plants in her garden were ones I started at my house. So I had a vested interest in making sure those little babies stayed alive and watering them and then picking raspberries. And then I would go to my parents' house and I would water their garden because I'm in charge of their garden beds. And then I would eventually get to my house and I would do our little container garden um, on our in our front yard and our backyard. But this year I broke my foot and was on the couch. I kind of visited my container garden, but I did not get over to the other gardens very much unless somebody would drive me because it was my right foot. So... The bunnies ate my garden mostly, yeah. probably some squirrels. Yeah. Uh, but it's okay. I just decided, you know, this is that year. But what's been amazing is all of our fruit is coming in, and our fruit trees have been, and our vines have been doing awesome. So I'm making up for lost time right now, and every day is a fruit day. Yeah. I have apples, pears, plums, grapes. Uh, we had uh, peaches. We had cherries. How did the peaches do this year? Yeah, we had peaches. We have a little tiny stunted tree, and it's it's doing great. Um, oh, that's I'm, great. Yeah. We we have uh, pears and plums, and the plums, uh, you know, I get like six. And the tree is huge. I don't know why we don't get very many plums, but the pears this year are crazy. And I don't know if you had this experience, but I think it was it was last year. We had a really bad hailstorm just when the flowers bloomed and it knocked all the blooms off and I had almost no pears for a year. So I had pears, then a no pears year. And then this year I am, you know, yes, it's fruit. So that happened with all of ours. We had no, almost no apples, almost no plums, maybe actually no, no plums that we were able to get. Um, the, the birds took their share, um, and no, no, no plums, apples or pears and no grapes either last year and yeah. this year abundance is everywhere and it's so it so kind much of balances better. out last year you got all the flowers all the garden and this year you get all of the fruit yes it, exactly it, it, yeah. and honestly if i were trying to manage a surplus of garden things right now and also trying to manage all the fruit that would be difficult but as it is so i feel like it's okay today i dropped off a bushel or more i don't know um of apples from our tree trees to the Portland Cider Company in Clackamas. And they are, um, they're collecting apples for their community harvest cider. And so you can donate apples and they're going to make a community cider to benefit. um, I don't know if it's the Oregon Food Bank, uh, but it's for, for, hunger so yeah that's somebody was i was telling so i was complaining to somebody i don't know what i'm gonna do with all of these pears and they said oh the ella curran food bank here in town will accept fresh fruit and i was like oh yeah i'm just gonna Done. take them yep. i mean a, a box i guess like it's gonna be enormous <laughs> you know it's just so i just pears. brought boxes and um and containers but other people there had home depot buckets and i thought that was brilliant yeah. it's, nice, it's a nice way to carry fruit i also participated in pdx yard share a couple of weekends ago. Have you heard of that? No, what's that? It is um, in Portland and it's a multi-organization endeavor to have people who have an abundance of harvest share with their neighbors. And so they put out a community map and you, if you wanted to glean food from your neighbors, you could go to the map and see what everybody had and go to their houses and pick up fruit or vegetables or flowers for free. And if you um, if you had a surplus, you could put things out. So we participated in that. And I went to someone else's house and picked up bay leaves uh, which are yeah. for soup. And I gave away a lot of apples, pears, um, the beginning of the grapes. So what a cool initiative. That's, you Isn't know, that cool? that, that's a great. And, and it, I mean, technologically, it wouldn't be a lot of, of work for somebody to say, I've got stuff, ping, you know, and then folks can just come get what they need. That's wonderful. That's absolutely. That's, that's good, and then, you know, planning. And I think, I think the organization Urban Gleaners um, is the one that came after they said, would you like a fruit pickup if you have any left over? And I said, yes, please. So I sent boxes away again to food pantries. Yeah. Um, and I felt good about our, our fruit not going to waste and feeding our neighbors and just the community love. People would walk by and ask me what I was doing. And I got to talk about 
uh, Portland Fruit Tree Project, which is how I found out about it. Um, I'm not sure all cities and towns have something like this, but I just, if your town doesn't, I think it would be such a cool thing for for neighbors to just do. Yeah, it's not unreasonable. I wonder, I'll talk to some folks that are, we've got a, a you know, like a Saturday farmer's market. And, uh, and I wonder if something like that would appeal to folks who are going, I've got more than I can even sell here at the Saturday market. What am I going to yeah. do with all this? You know, it, it's been a, it's been a good year. I wonder if the some of those uh, um, for, uh, the food banks can as well, because I know, wonder they get this glut right now. Uh, are they able to, you know, I mean, we found uh, my fiance, Crystal, two years ago, we decided we were going to actually try and eat all these pears. And so it was. <laughs> cobbler and like an, an apple sauce but a pear sauce and you know and and her big discovery was she actually tried to peel all of the pears and they're these little asian pears it's she was like never again i'm, <laughs> I'm never peeling hundreds of pears ever again uh, but uh, yeah i mean they're, they're, it's I, I just take them to work in a box too and put them in the you know the staff room and say come get a bunch of pears but yeah I, i'm taking them to the food well, bank and that's so great. Like you have Asian pears and I have Bosque pears and um, I think I have another kind too, but it's, it's, you know, people could, can share. Yes. Yes. I do have the traditional, is that the, you know, the, the, the pear shaped pear that's yeah, Bartlett. That's yeah. yeah. I have Bartlett's and Bosques. Yeah. That's what I have. <laughs> and, but the Bartlett's don't produce as many. I mean, they're, they're, they're delicious and they're wonderful. I mean, the pears are, I think my favorite, although we do, we have uh blackberries and blackberries you know are a lot of work to not let them totally take over everywhere but boy the blackberry harvest was fantastic this year and then blueberries and then i want to do strawberries which i know also can kind of go nuts but uh, so was... yeah i did strawberries in the garden and that's and blueberries on the back deck and so i we've had those too um and i just planted some strawberry starts that i'm hoping will overwinter and create even more strawberry goodness next yeah. year and those don't often make it into my house. Those are just candy. Like they, as yeah. they are finally ready, I am, you know, I got home from work and there were three strawberries and I ate them all and they didn't get into anybody else. Sorry. <laughs> I just, I feel like it's such a gift to walk outside yeah. and find something that has been sun warmed and put it into your body and nourish your heart and your yeah. and your body with it it's just the yep. it just and it tastes so good nature's candy you know i'm like yeah. oh i you know this this is better than a snickers bar and cost me nothing <laughs> <laughs> you know nature made this for me it's it's really amazing totally so what is something that has been pulling you away this is a show about procrastination so rather than asking process questions which we get asked every time we you know talk about time. our writing uh i wanted to ask about what you've been doing when you're not writing so what's been pulling you away from your work in terms of pop culture lately well it's funny because i'm not much of a pop culture person like i can't name people or you know famous acting people yeah or sports scene people, or um, even, I'm not even very good at naming bands, but I am an excellent reader and I read all the time. And that is what I do to unwind. It's all, it's all connected, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it feels really great. And two books I've been loving recently. I recently finished King of the Armadillos by Wendy Chin Tanner. Ooh. And it is loosely based on her father's story of getting diagnosed with Hansen dis Hansen's disease as a as a young man and getting sent to Carville in New Orleans uh, for treatment. And it is just it is a lovely book. It's wonderful. I wanted to show the cover for the audience in the podcast. Yes. And I will link to that in the show notes for sure. And purple and gold. And then right after that, it's been a great reading summer. I started, I'm almost at the end of Goodnight Irene, the latest Luis Alberto Urea novel, which is based on his mother's story being a donut dolly in World War II. So both uh, historical. I don't even know what that means. She was a donut dolly in. Yeah, she she worked for the Red Cross. I didn't know what it was either until I heard him speak at Powell's and I bought the book and now I'm reading about it. And uh, yeah, she signed up to volunteer with the Red Cross and she would she and her um, truck partners uh, would drive around this truck into near combat zones and they would do fresh coffee and donuts. They would try to make them the soldiers feel good and to make them feel comforted. Um, they had record players and it was very much like a public service yeah. job around um 
sweet treats and and coffee and just creating some sort of normalcy or emotional bond in a really terrifying terrible situation so i've I've seen photographs of people doing things like that in ukraine now you know where they're trying to see how they can support i mean soldiers the soldiers in ukraine is just your next door neighbor like it is such a desperate situation and so you know to be able to go and support what what a i mean it's a beautiful story but uh, also kind of terrifying i would think like for sure uh, to to be in that situation, and then for him to look back on that, so it's about his own mother. This is a memoir, yep. a sort of memoir, biography. Well, it's a it's a no, it's a novel, but okay. um, his uh, publisher. So the front cover says "Goodnight, Irene." It's a, a blue, gold, and green, and then the inside of the hardcover has actual pictures of his mother. Um, but then it's fictionalized, so it's it's, it's fictionalized know. exactly. So, but he took inspiration from yeah. Her, oh, right? how cool. And, and it's, yeah, I highly recommend looking up any interviews with him where he's talking about this book because just it's, it's been fascinating and it's a piece of history. I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, same, same thing with Wendy's uh, Carville novel. It's just really beautiful um, depiction of a community that I didn't know anything about. Yeah. And, I, and that's one of the things that I love about, you know, I, I read a lot of fiction. And so then I have to wonder, you know, I, I, I learned about this community to what extent was this accurate? <laughs> you know, to what extent was this fictionalized? But it is, there, there's a lot of stuff, you know, bouncing around in my head that is not actually factual. It's, you know, it's, I learned about it through a novel and maybe it's correct, you know, and I'll kind of catch, <laughs> people will catch me sometimes, you know, they're like, actually that didn't happen that way. Oh, but it happened in the book that I read about it. Um, <laughs> but yes, I will check those out and we'll uh, link to those in the show notes. So push, look at those. And if you're listening to the podcast, do check those out and check out those covers too, because that's, they're very cool. So what was a news story that pulled you, that's been getting your attention and keeping you away from your work lately? Well, I've always been uh, much more of a local news person. My background's in community journalism. And so small town reporting has really always been my thing. So being in Oregon um, and being deeply saddened by the the fires in Maui and the, the devastation in Lahaina, I keyed into the fact that the Oregon Humane Society was able to fly rescued pets here to Portland to um, help adopt these cats and kittens who used to have homes and now oh, don't cool. because of the I mean, the that's devastation. wonderful they're doing that. Yeah, that story's just been terrifying. Yeah, the whole thing has been awful. Um, so much of what we, what we see on the news and the headlines... Um, it just, there's so much to feel and it's so horrendous. Uh, Zaji Cox, my author, who you've had on the show, uh, works at the Humane Society. So she had, she talked to me a little bit about the importance of getting cats and kittens adopted in advance of the Maui group coming. Yeah, And it's when disasters are so big, um, keying into one small piece is is one of the ways that I can start processing on a human level. Yes. And, and, and processing via here are people doing good things for others in the face of this so that it's yes. not just paralyzing bad news. Like here yeah. are people doing good. Uh, and, you know, and that way we're not hiding from the story, but we are not also just, you know, going and there's nothing I can do. And it's just awful. You know, uh, yeah. that's that's wonderful that they're you know, people like Zaji who are doing this great work and you can go, oh yeah, I, you know, I, I can feel like I can connect with some positive human element of this story. She's such a neat person too. She's really been very cool. Uh, folks, uh, yeah. check out uh, Plums for Months. Her her debut is really excellent. I'll be teaching that in my creative writing class this year. That'll be one of the options because- uh, Oh, great. that's so cool. Yeah, Thank so you, that'll Ed. be fun. <laughs> like, I've, you know, I've met her, <laughs> but yeah, she's she's a neat person. So sure. when you're not writing, what is a hobby that's been taking you away from your work? Maybe less so this summer. <laughs> um, you Yeah, you won't be surprised by the answer here. <laughs> I have been roller skating. Um, not since I broke my foot, but I started uh, my 11-year-old, oh my gosh, my middle schooler takes, uh, is on a home team at Rose City Rollers, the Portland um roller derby group 
And it just looked like so much fun. I was sitting on the bleachers all the time and I was watching her figure out different moves and strategies with her teammates. And in January this past year, I was like, you know, maybe I'll just sign up for 101 and I'll just, you know, practice a little bit. Well, it's so much fun. And one of my favorite things, I went into Derby knowing I didn't want to fall. I didn't want to break any bones. I didn't want to get another concussion. I felt very fragile. I have disabilities. I maybe like have fast speeds and wheels and collisions aren't really the best thing for uh-huh. me at my age and with my with my um my body's tenderness and weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, but I thought, okay, well, I'll just try it and it'll be really safe. Well, then they taught us how to fall on the first day. And it rewrote my idea of what it means to have a physical body in the world. I was trying to protect myself to save myself the pain, but they taught us how to fall so we could fall safely and without major injury. Um, so what were the learnings so- there like? What 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 what? How did that change the way you understood a fall? I'm 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 not sure that's something that's easy to describe, but it uh- actually is because uh we could I'll tell you why it is. Um, but they started off. We all have to wear pads, helmet, mouth guard, right? So right. once you can't be on your skates standing up unless you have all your gear on, elbow pads also. So we're covered in all this protective gear. And the first thing they taught us was a one knee fall, where you basically fall forward on one knee. And then they teach you how to do a two knee fall, which is you fall forward on the one knee and then you drop the second knee down. Now, the third fall is also you start with the one knee fall, you add the second knee fall, and then you curl your body and your fists inwards and drop your elbows onto the ground and you tuck your head and helmet under. And that is, um, fall small. You make your body as small as possible so that if you are on um, on the track and it's very busy and skaters are skating past you, you've not only protected your head, but you've protected your fingers and, and your, your body and from your getting stepped on. Yeah. So, so we had to practice those and oh my gosh, my thighs had never hurt so much in my life because it was all that <laughs> dropping. Right. It's not just dropping, but it's getting back up. They wanted you to like touch down when you fall, pop back up. So I got so much stronger and I found a lot of my residual knee and hip pain went away because I suddenly had strength in parts of my body yeah. that I didn't know. So where this, where I'm going with falling is when I fell and broke my foot in June, I was going down a hill at a local park. There was high grass. I was watching the grass because I didn't want to step on any pollinators and I missed a curb that was hidden behind the grass. Mm. And I fell, twisted my leg. And guess what I did? I did the one knee fall. So, so most people, it could have been a lot worse. It could have been so much worse. Most people, especially as writers, right? Like yeah. most people who fall over curbs put their hands out yeah. and they break their wrists. And instead I did my one knee fall instinctively because I had been practicing for six, seven, six months on how to fall correctly. So I did that. And then because I was going down the hill, Jack and Jill style, I um, I landed on my shoulder also, but it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. One of my previous guests, Jason Brick, who does a lot of like safety training and that kind of stuff. That's his whole uh, world now. He's, you know, selling books on, on, you know, keeping your family safe. But one of the things he said on the show, which I just loved was, we have this misconception that in a moment of crisis, we will rise to the level of the situation. And he says, actually, in a moment of, you know, difficulty of, of any kind, we fall to our level of training. And I thought that's uh-huh. a wonderful, you know, insight that, you know, because you had practiced this, you were able to, you know, go through it, not because you did something magic and heroic in that moment. And, you know, but because you'd actually practiced falling. Yeah. And I just, I had already been using it as a metaphor um, in speeches. I I did a keynote where I talked about uh, rejection 
And the big metaphor, I was stood on stage with my microphone and I dropped down and did my one knee fall, my two knee fall and my fall small to show them. And I talked about how we need, if we can learn how to fall small when we get rejected and pop back up and continue on, that's so much safer and kinder to our bodies and our hearts than it is to just stew on one rejection. So I had already like metaphorically it changed my life to learn how to fall or to even think about needing to learn how to fall but then I stumbled um and I would have been even in better shape if my foot hadn't gotten caught behind the curb and twisted but you know I still I still have my hands and I could sit on the couch and write and I could pet my dog and I could um procrastinate from writing I could hold a book to read so there's I think there's a whole novel here in you know, characters who have learned to fall versus characters who've not learned to fall. You've got, you've got a, you know, this is more your wheelhouse than mine, you know, mine's, you know, fantasy and and sci-fi and you've got the literary, but I think, you know, a a story where, you know, a a character who has had a real rough love life has learned to fall and somebody else is, uh, you know, decimated and, uh, and uh, that you've you've got a book there. I think that would be great. (laughs) I would read that. I love that. (laughs) Learning to fall, you know. That, Thank you, Ben. I now I have to go. I'm sorry. I can't. I know. <laughs> right. <I> go, right? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> Just well, kidding. Yeah. But Part I did of, write it down. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. Learning to fall. There's a beautiful book there about, you know, uh, you know, have to do some, something with different characters so that we could see, oh, this is what it means to learn to fall and, yeah, and, and get up again. Um, So part of the point of the show is just to help readers get to know you. And so I have taken, this is, uh, you know, something relatively recent in the show and not everybody is D&D players, but it works as a good metaphor. So if you were a character in Dungeons and Dragons, what would be your race and class? Well, I never have played D&D, but I would definitely be a dragonborn. Uh, I also read all the the D&D books as a kid even though I didn't, I, I was an only child. I didn't have people to play with, <laughs> but I could understand and immerse myself in that world of magic. Mm-hmm. And I always really related to the dragons. Um, and they also uh, are often bright colors. And I like that. And I also like that they are motivated and self-sufficient and family clan oriented because all of those also describe me. So. Yeah. Yes, and then I, I can totally see that the the bright colored family, yep. you know, matriarch. Yes, and then yep. what would be your class? Um, my class would be a bard because I believe in the magic of storytelling and music. I used to actually be a musician. I thought I would go pro as a musician, uh, classical. What did you play uh, when I was in high school? I played flute. Really? And yeah. That's, yeah. That's and and at that level, that, did you continue yeah. with it through college or? I did not. I stopped in college, um, and I, in some ways, I really regret it. But I was not. I didn't go. I on purpose did not end up going to a music school. So I thought I was. I thought maybe I would, but then I changed my mind. So. But you chose the written word. You chose a different art form. I think yeah, that's but, totally legit. It's, it's all storytelling with. Yeah art and your breath um whether it's where to put a period on the page or your flute where to take your breath to get the next phase yeah i wonder if uh folks who have that sense uh you know i would think it would contribute to poetry you know that that breath is a line break you know i think that's exactly yeah and for sure i've found uh, i wrote multiple novels in the past that didn't sell and the one that sold has music at the core of it and my next book has music at the core of it so yeah. yeah, that's well. Our, yes, our our folks who are uh, music fans and also readers, you will want to check this one out for sure. <laughs> so now you've been ambushed. There are three small level one goblins that attack you in the woods. You are a dragonborn bard. What do you do? I would ask the other players because I honestly have no idea. And I believe in teamwork and communication and community. And somebody would give me a suggestion or three suggestions and I would fare better by listening to them than I would guessing that that is the perfect Laura Stanfall response (laughs) like you know everybody else is like I would kill them in the following way and you're like I would work with others (laughs) (laughs) that's great um well speaking of working with others we're going to go to our ad break and the community can support us financially uh and then (laughs) we're going to come back from our break and I'm going to ask you about what you've been daydreaming about lately Today's episode is brought to you by the all-new merch store at notapipepublishing.com. 
of course the site has books and books and more books, but we also have merch like t-shirts and hats and art prints. My apologies to YouTube viewers, but podcast listeners, imagine a far more handsome t-shirt model telling you, I just got this new shirt, which shows a ghost saying, boo is Latin for I shout. Seriously, look it up. You're welcome. We have hats with the logo from Unrelenting by Jesse Hennard and Marie Parks, the logo from our Stories Within Anthology, and stickers that show Justice Sotomayor saying, respectfully, I dissent, with the respectfully crossed out because she chose to omit that in her response to the court's recent homophobic ruling. And there are art prints by Michaela Thorne, the artist and author of Tooth and Claw. Check out all the great merch at the store and use the code SHOWFAN for 10% off your entire order. All that's in the show notes. Also, we're always on the lookout for great guests and advertisers. So if you have a book or other product to sell and you're looking for a group of the most intelligent, witty, discerning readers, let us help you make that connection. Our ad rates are as low as 15 bucks and guests will never pay to be on the show. Right, Doug? We, we agreed on that. We only have guests we want to talk to. Some jerk offers us a billion dollars to be on the show. No way. Take a hike. Keep your billion, Elon. Stuff it in a pillow and hug it and cry because you're not cool enough to be on this show. Them's the breaks. You too, J.K. Rowling. Get your hateful, racist, transphobic ass out of here. You can't buy an empathetic soul with that billion dollars, and it won't get you on this show either. The rest of you, make Writers Not Writing a part of your marketing plan today. Welcome back, everybody. So, Laura, what's something you've been daydreaming about lately? Oh, my gosh. This is, this is funny because... There's only one answer that I could come up with for this question when I was thinking about what what I might what you know what I've been thinking about um and it's beings. I've been thinking about beings, Ben. <laughs> Not the answer I expected. <laughs> no, heirloom beings. Um I became vegan a couple summers ago for health reasons and I have recently fallen in love with heirloom beans and learning how to cook them and put them into different dishes, hide them as needed. Um, but they're just absolutely delicious. I uh, signed up a couple years ago for the Rancho Gordo Bean Club, and it took me a long time to get into the club. And I just received my second shipment of heirloom beans and they choose beans and they send a little newspaper with some recipes and I feel excited. And again, like it's part of a, it's a community thing because I'm yeah. in this club with other people. And also it's challenging me to figure out how to cook with them. Are they like uh, uh, bananas in that we've, you know, we've created a monoculture and when you get beyond that monoculture, there's a lot more richness than we're aware of yes. in the world of beans? Exactly. Exactly. And Rancho Gordo does a great job of um, of supporting small farms and helping them keep these heirloom varietals sustainable. So yeah. that's another reason why I love um, supporting. I feel good when I eat heirloom beans, but I also know it's good for our our world it's good yeah. it, it's good to have not the banana monoculture that that article was so wild do you did you read that no there was a recent i think it was literary hub had an essay about the banana and i had no idea yeah it's a it's a real i mean it's a real environmental danger like we have created a, a banana economy that is so built on just one banana I've, I've read about it before and i thought that yeah we are setting ourselves up for a uh, you know a fall when we say there there will be only one and if we get one yep. blight that takes out that one banana that you know but also you know the, the loss of these you know very sweet plantains and you know the, the, all these different kinds if they're not exactly what the consumer expects they don't they don't fly so um you know nature laughs last and if the, if the one kind goes out we may rediscover and, and you're right it's a good thing people are keeping these other varietals going so that there's okay. at least an alternative uh if you know if the one kind goes away mm -hmm. but yeah that's that's interesting i am not a bean fan but my my fiance just discovered this the other day i was telling her the story when i was a little kid there was somebody in our church who uh 
took to calling me Benji, which is a name I do not like. And so I said, I was, I was less than two. This was in, in, in Michigan before we, before we moved to Illinois. And I said, Benji's for dogs. And everybody thought that was very funny. And the guy knocked it off. He stopped calling me Benji. Well, I then internalized this was the thing to say to, you know, to, to get a behavior to stop. And so my parents served me beans and I went, beans are for dogs. <laughs> and, and so that became a family punchline like oh yeah ben doesn't eat beans beans are for ducks <laughs> and so yeah so i've never been a bean fan but i will eat lots of things where they are cooked in and they're almost hidden like you said like yeah. you know no this is the the protein here is beans um uh, uh garbanzo beans are the the root of um what's it falafel which I yep. love. I love falafel. And, you know, and, and then somebody had to say, you're, you're, you are eating chickpeas. And I was like, I had no idea, <laughs> but they're fantastic. <laughs> so is it that kind of thing where it's, here's something you can try with this that you never would have thought to try otherwise? Yes. Falafel for sure is on my list. Um, and I make a lot of soups and salads. I made an heirloom tomato bean salad last night with um, farmer's market tomatoes and small white beans. And it was, it was delightful. It's, they taste so great. And they really do taste differently when you've cooked them from, from scratch. So. Yeah. Well, and tomatoes are one of those things where, you know, until you have grown your own tomatoes and tasted them, you have not, you, you can't imagine how different a store-bought tomato and a garden tomato are. I mean, it really is striking the richness of. We had uh, a, we had a glut of tomatoes last year and I've had a handful this year. Yeah. Because <laughs> so, yeah. I well, have not. As well this year either. That's, which is interesting. I don't, but I, you know, as many as I can eat rather than way more than I can eat. <laughs> you know, like, the tomatoes yeah. to go nuts in our soil here in the in the valley that's you know i have no complaints but uh this this valley here i'm down in independence so the the silt of this willamette valley the soil just certain things just decide yeah we're we're unstoppable here <laughs> tomatoes go crazy so, so um what is one thing that you want our viewers and listeners to know about what's going on with your writing um, oh, no, this isn't even your writing. You were excited. We were both excited about the same collection that's coming out. Yeah, it's actually uh, something I'm publishing. Oh, this uh, is put through Forest Avenue? Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I just know about it because I know Annie. Yeah, so tell everybody yeah, about this one. So this is great. One of my favorite booksellers, I mean, I have a lot of favorite booksellers, but her name is Annie Carl, and she's a disabled bookstore owner of Neverending Bookshop. And a couple of years ago, she pitched me uh, doing an anthology by disabled authors of science fiction, fantasy, horror stories. And I periodically swear off on anthologies because it's so much work, as you know, um, trying to bring everybody together, trying to create a cohesive unit out of lots of different voices, figuring out how how to promote it, figuring out how to make sure all the authors feel loved. Like there's a lot in anthologies, but but Annie's point that so often in science fiction and fantasy, disabilities are quote unquote cured or the disabled person's the villain or um, people with disabilities aren't allowed just to be themselves. They are they are part of the plot in some way that that is supposed to change them or make them better. Yeah. And Annie was just sick and tired of it. And she was like, can we make a book? And I was like, yes, I would be honored to publish this book. And so it comes out in October. Oh, and, I'm excited about that one. And yeah. it's so good. And What's the title? It's called Soul Jar. And the subtitle is 31 Fantastical Tales by Disabled Authors. That's going to be good. That, that's, that is absolutely in my wheelhouse. Like that is the, you know, I'm, I love the, the, the themed anthologies. I love that it is, you know, th th there's a real concern for this community. Uh, and, you know, th these are authors often these, you know, underrepresented authors are, are, you know, gems that people have not discovered before either. And so I expect that there are just going to be some fantastic stories in there. So I'm really looking yeah, forward to that. Annie did a wonderful job choosing and uh, get helping get the call out and um and it's great timing with October coming up. It's yeah. rainy season, spooky season. Um and it just it feels really great that we can celebrate voices together. Some of them have been published before, others I think one is a high school student even. Yeah. So it's it's a mix yeah. of established uh Nic Nicola Griffith is the uh 
oh, forward author. A couple of hers. Yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. And so, yeah, she wrote the forward and she contributed a story as well. Oh, so we cool. feel really lucky to have her on board. And yeah, then and it's nice to have somebody like that who kind of, you know, already has a reputation and anchors it. And then you've got folks who nobody's read before, but they can, th those are those ones where I'm like, this is amazing. You know, yeah. it's a, and it's a wonderful step for those folks in their careers too. We, uh, we published a, an anthology that came out during Pride Month that was all LGBTQIA plus authors, because same thing. We were like, this is a group that in the world of sci-fi fantasy often feels like the, the you know, the, the depictions are, they're just not as rich as the community. It's, you know, oh, mm -hmm. so, you know, a, a, a cishet author goes, oh, I feel obligated to throw in a gay character. One of the things uh, L. Mitchell was talking to me about is with disabled depict, uh, depictions, often that the, the person's disability becomes their entire character. Yeah. Um, and so that's something that, you know, by having good representation, by having disabled authors do the writing themselves, you can avoid that, you know, that that kind of tokenizing. So I would say also often the disability becomes the primary plot point or a yeah. big chunk of the plot point as like, um, and it's that's just not I mean, our lives are not plot. They are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, we, we and like you said, the person is living with this disability, not, you know, the overcoming this disability as the plot, you know, and that was exactly. one of the things Elle and I talked about, too, is people who've got conditions that go on for their entire lives. It's not like, oh, and by the end of the story, this has been resolved in any way. Right. This is a lifelong condition. And this is part of who this person is, but not all of who they are. And and so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how that then is used in sci-fi and fantasy worlds. So and that's something cool. else that's when does that go on pre-order? Really... Is that going on pre-order soon? It is on pre-order now. Oh, yeah. OK, good. I'll yeah. I got that right away. I, I've discovered and... how much I love pre-order because then I forget that I got it at all. And then it just shows oh up gosh. and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> totally. I just got Alyssa Hatman's sift from the third thing press in the mail yesterday. And I was so excited because I saw somebody else share their copy and I was like, gosh, darn it. I should have pre-ordered that. I guess I'll go order yes. it. And then it showed up and I was so happy. The same and... thing happened to me with Jesse Quark's uh, newest. Oh, so uh, great. After the tide. I was like, I, I, I made a mental note that I ought to get that book. Oh yeah. Here it is in the mailbox. <laughs> you know? So great. And sometimes I don't open them right away when I have for like when I've been anticipating it I like to sit and stare at the package and yeah. know that there's something some goodness <laughs> inside that I can enjoy later yeah it just when hers showed up Jesse's showed up it just made my day I was like I had a rough day at work and I show up and I open the mailbox and go oh magic in my mailbox this, this is very nice yes so I highly recommend everybody pre-order your books and you get a double treat out of it it's very cool <laughs> So uh, we do a weekly poll for the show, and I post it on the, you know, uh, platform formerly known as Twitter. Uh, so what would be your question you'd like to uh, ask folks about uh, for their votes? Well, I started hearing about pumpkin spice on the radio, uh, even like last week, I think. Um, so it's, it's just barely September. It's the 2nd of September today when we're recording. And um, and I couldn't believe that people were talking about pumpkin spice lattes already, but that gave me my question. I wanted to ask how people like their coffee. Do they take it plain or fancy? Yes. And that's a, that's a good broad way to ask the question. Yeah. My uh, crystal loves her Dutch brothers and pumpkin spice day was a, you know, like a day on the calendar, but she likes hers so much. She'll, she'll confess it's barely coffee. Like it's so many <laughs> other things. There's, it's, it's not really a, it's, you know, coffee is the excuse. It's the location, but really it's this elaborate milkshake. So she would certainly be in the fancy category, but yeah, that's a great one. We'll, uh, we'll toss that one up. So what's in your to read pile right now? What are you looking forward to checking out? Uh, Tom Lake by Ann Patchett. She's one of my favorite authors and I've been really excited to read it. Um, I even bought a kid, knowing this, the rain and the wind were coming. I bought a kid's windbreaker this summer that actually matches the cover of her book, which is green and has flowers <laughs> on it. And so I realized how excited I was about her book that I plan to dress like it while I'm reading it. Yes. You'll have to send her a picture. Like that's the, that is, you know, that's, <laughs> You're, you're merchandising her book for her. Like, that's totally. pretty great. Uh, that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, oh, and you I'm got a signed excited. copy. Yeah, I do have a signed copy. Um, 
uh, she's her copy editor is a friend of mine. So I've been able to meet her and introduce myself and she remembered me. So she, that, that's great. Yeah. yeah. I, I like my, my signed copies, you know, not because of the object, but because this is this kind of tangible recognition that I actually have been in the presence of this person, <laughs> you know, like some kind of interaction, which is very cool. Not always. There are somewhere I've purchased them, you know, and, and didn't actually get to meet the person, but by and large it's, Oh yeah, I got to, I got to be there with this person, which I know is very geeky and probably doesn't mean anything to anybody else, but it's neat for me. <laughs> it's very special. And that's, um, I actually not see her, um, to get this copy she is coming to portland but she's not here yet but i pre-ordered from the bookstore she owns parnassus in nashville right. and i forgot offered... that she is a bookstore owner herself yeah. yeah another reason to love her so i went ahead and pre-ordered on the parnassus website and said signature please yeah. So, yeah yeah oh yes absolutely that's great so where can our viewers and listeners find you and your work Oh, gosh. Uh, ForestAvenuePress.com is our website. Um, it has my contact info on there. I'm on social media as Forest Avenue Press or Forest Ave Press. That's Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I'm on uh, Blue Sky and the platform formerly known as Twitter, actually, and uh, Instagram as LH Stanfill. Okay, I I just got my blue sky invite from a friend this last week, and I need to I need to create that one because you know I need to be on another form of social media. Of course, right? Where well, come find me. Land, yeah. I mean, I, it you know. was it was really cool today. I heard from a woman who was interested in getting a galley of one of our upcoming books. She had been following the author Daniel Olivas on Twitter and left Twitter, and he's still on Twitter, but um. But she found me, I posted about it on Blue Sky and she was like, oh, I was following him and I wanted, I wanted to know more. I can't wait to read the book. And so that, that was exciting to me to see that platform crossover because that was, I haven't explored it too much yet. Well, and that's the trick. Like we as publishers have to be kind of everywhere because where, you know, we go where the readers are. I would love to go this one is out of my life now, this one's out of my, you know, and I'm like, no, I've got, because who knows who's going to say, oh, I hadn't heard about that book. And so it it, it puts us on all of them, but uh, that is cool when it works. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you who I should reach out to. What's your recommendation for somebody I should reach out to to see if I can get them on this show? Um, well, I would recommend Keisha Ajose Fisher. Oh. Uh, she's the author of No God Like the Mother. And she's absolutely a brilliant writer. She's Nigerian-American, and uh, she self-published her first short story collection in 2019, and it won the Oregon Book Award in 2020, which I think it was only the second self-published book to... um, to win that award for fiction, the Ken Kesey Award. So she's fabulous. And in this spring, I republished a new edition of the same book because it had never been out nationally with national distribution. And so I got her book out and it's now in more stores, it's in more libraries, it's in more people's hands. And that's been exciting. But she has an absolutely phenomenal um, life story and she's just really fun and and wonderful to talk to she's so warm and and thought and just wonderful i got to speak with her at willamette writers and on a panel uh last month and it's just so fun to be in the room with her so i think you would really enjoy spending yeah, time with her i, I, I have not had a chance to speak with her individually but i got to hear her speak at the oregon book awards and i was just like what a neat person so yeah i will reach out that that would be really cool to get her on the show yeah um, she is she's fabulous she has this star quality about her yes, that she does yeah just... I, you know i was like oh she's she's got it <laughs> yeah, she, yeah. yeah 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 it's when she when she has the microphone everybody just holds their breath a little bit i feel like that because she brings that kind of intelligence and energy and emotional she goes to the emotional place too it's not it's it's very her when she speaks it's true to her heart in a way that not everybody is open enough and, and present enough to do. 
You're absolutely right about that star quality. I didn't know the story of her book. I presumed, oh, this is somebody who's got 20 titles out and this is their, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're being recognized, uh, you know, with the Ken Casey award because yeah, she's, she, she really does. She walks out on that stage and she starts speaking. And I thought, oh, she, she knows what she's doing. <laughs> she's yeah, she's yeah. pretty great. So yeah, that she would be wonderful to have on. I will absolutely reach out. Yeah, she's dynamite. I was trying to think of someone that you didn't know necessarily directly yeah. that you would think to invite. Um, maybe, and so I I chose someone outside of the science fiction fantasy yeah. genre wheelhouse. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I mean, the show we've really tried to have a, a you know broad mix since I've had you know film and TV folks and you know poets and we had Armin Tolentino last week who I, you know Armin he's just the nicest guy so that was a, that was a fun one too he's so great he's also someone who just makes me smile whenever I'm whenever even if I see him across the room his exactly. presence is so lovely yes and he yeah and talk about warm like he, you know there there's yeah. a guy who is you know well he's like you he's this community builder he loves to encourage and support others and so that's the kind of thing that i want to you know replicate as much as i can in my own life and via the show and you know so yeah. you're, you're you're one of my heroes oh, thank <laughs> so. you. well i'm excited to listen to your armin episode he's so he's, talented he's, too we got to laugh and he's really fun yeah and he's brilliant yeah. um Okay, well, I've got to thank some folks before we sign off. Thanks to the artist Max Oakland, who reached out and provided one of his songs for our intro song, I Prefer the Dusk. Let Max know you like it by following him on Twitter at Max Oakland with three Ds. And thanks to Halizna CCO for their song Kids for the ad break. If you're in a band and you'd like your song used on the show, I'd love to highlight a listener's work like Max's song, so email me about that. Uh, thanks to Doug, the producer, for making this show sound good and taking the blame when it doesn't. Thank you very much, Doug. And I cannot forget to mention Writers Not Writing is a production of Not A Pipe Publishing. So please go to notapipepublishing.com. Check out the amazing books written by writers who didn't procrastinate too much. If you like this show, rate it and review it wherever you found it. Please check out Laura's Singing Lessons for the Stylish Canary. Wonderful work. Tell a friend about it, especially if you are a, a music fan as well. If you've you know, got both uh, literary and musical inclinations, you will love that book. Um, and then give it that review, that click on that fifth star, make Laura's day. Um, and uh, if you, you know, click on the like button for the show too, we would appreciate it. So uh, for our send off, we'd like to give you some advice going into this next week. So Laura, what's your advice for everybody? My advice is uh, beans cooked from scratch are delicious and you should totally try them. Yeah, I, I I think I need to try them with the uh, the 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 bay leaves that you got. That sounds really good. That's, I'll, 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 I I I should push myself. I'll try them again. You should. You can um, you can make a you can make a dip or you can make um something where you don't you don't notice them. Well, and I you know I should be fair to beans and try some heirloom so that it's not the same old thing that I you know the, oh oh more refried beans like you know yes and pair them with tomatoes or something you love something else fresh from the garden and you'll be like oh yeah this is this is not what I thought it was <laughs> and then I'll be kicking myself because I'll be why have I been missing out on this for forty six <laughs> you know because of one joke when I was two years old. Um, <laughs> So uh, second, I always say, remember that a novel without spaces would be gibberish and our lives need spaces too. So don't ignore the spaces. And third, no matter how much you procrastinate, we're still proud of you. If I take my time.